Welcome back to MeStack Missions Podcast, and this is Jake, and uh, I'm going to share with you a little bit more, as I've been sharing the past few weeks, about our, our team's strategy and specifically how we deal with certain issues. Now, this week's topic is a little bit challenging. Um, I, to be honest, I, I wasn't really excited about talking about this topic this week, but it is something that should be talked about. And that is, how do we deal with cultural sin? Uh, within missionary life, you are confronted with cultural issues that are outside of your cultural experience. What does that mean? Well, um, fish don't know that they live in water. Like They kind of just feel like the whole, whole world is made up of water. When you jump outside of the fishbowl that you realize, hey, wait a minute, uh, the what I originally knew and experienced is not all that there is. And so one of the common experiences of missionaries is dealing with culture. But things that people within the culture oftentimes don't see. And so that's one of the benefits of, of living internationally or living cross-culturally is one, it challenges you uh, as you begin to see things in your own culture, own culture, in your own worldview, that you begin to 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 have to recognize and deal with aspects that are not biblical and perhaps sinful things that you had never seen before. But by living internationally or cross culturally, you have become aware of. And then, of course, the other aspect of it is seeing things uh, as an outsider in a new culture a host, uh, that hosts you uh, because we're guests in this culture, but things that they don't see. And so how do you deal with that? When I was in, in uh, missions uh, class in seminary, we were given this hypothetical new uh, missionary to a new people group that practices polygamy. And the chief of this people group uh, becomes a Christian. And because of the cultural expectations as a leader of the community that he will also be a leader in the church, what do you do? Because he has multiple wives and yet, if he is to f force the other wives out, then he uh, commits divorce or he has to abandon them. And in this particular case study, uh, a divorced woman in this culture is forced into prostitution in order to provide for her and all of the children that she had had with this, her previous husband. So what do you do? What do you do when there isn't an easy answer? What do you do when um, there isn't just an obvious way to go? Like in the case of this, this chief, um, do you allow a polygamist to be a leader in the church? Like when scripture says that he must be a one woman man, do you encourage him to get a divorce? What do you do to the testimony of Christ before an unbelieving community of the new religion causing uh, these women 
to be abandoned and forced into prostitution. Like, and as hard as that case study is, you might be saying, well, that's just completely outside of the realm of, no, that's, that's a real life, real life scenario that we're often faced with. Like in this, in, in that case study, and that case study came from a, a real life scenario where they decided to make the most of it and work towards a healthy church coming in the next generation. So you raise up young men to follow biblical standards. But in that culture, polygamy had was not a sin. I mean, in the Old Testament Israel, was polygamy a sin? No. And so in this culture, polyg- in this of this hypothetical situation, they're not aware that a leader in the church has to be a one-woman man. So they're faced with this dilemma of what do we do when there is no one who is biblically qualified to be a leader in the church because of a, a sin that they were unaware of as unbiblical but is very much culturally accepted. And so that poses poses problems for missionaries all the time. What do you do as we have had to face situations similar in our in our ministry when the man who evangelized his community and started the work in his community um who was respected in the community approaches a young girl in the church and tries to convince her to have an affair with him. And that is public knowledge to everybody in the church. And yet because all men in that culture have multiple, in this culture have multiple women Maybe they're not married to them, so it's not polygamy, but definitely adultery. What do you do? What do you do when when that man considers this work to be his church and in the building is on his property? When there is nobody else who is biblically qualified to lead the work? Another situation in another town, same thing arose. We led uh, uh, the first ones to Christ, baptized them, discipled them, and then come to find out he has another wife in another town. Now understand that, that nobody here is legally married. Everybody lives common law, but... In the eyes of the of the community, he has two families, one in this town and one in the other town. He has children by multiple women. He loves the Lord. He's given up his past. And yet, what is he supposed to do with the other family? And then all the men now who've come in, they have similar testimonies. 
like for a young man in this culture to not have multiple women from middle adolescence onward into adulthood is very, very rare. So what do you do? So we often sit around and have these hard conversations um, because we like to have a collaborative style in our leadership. We, we try to make this a matter of group discussion. Like, do you take a hardline stance? Do you promote the, the, the biblical perspective of 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 grace and forgiveness and reconciliation uh in the case of this man do you bring now both of these women that he's with even though it's common law um and he has children with both do you bring in the other woman into the church like what does that do to the health of the church what does that do to the testimony of the of the work in the community because everybody in the community knows he has two wives and and they're both going to the same church like do you want to tell the other woman that she can't come to church do you want to prevent her from getting baptized uh but and yet there's tension and uh like there there are no easy answers in these these scenarios it's easy to sit back in another from another culture in another another country and go well they should just do x y or z well you know x y or z has its own set of uh of complications like if if you do x and you're gonna have these issues arise if you do y you're gonna have those issues to arise like what do you do because to be honest there's not a simple solution in many of these cases. So I think back that that case study that we did at the very beginning uh, or in seminary that I talked about at the very beginning of this podcast. And what do we do? We make the most of the situation for what it is in this moment. And then we plan for the next generation to get it right, to make it biblical. That's where I'm at. I I don't know that I have an e- an easy solution other than that because uh, I I'm not about to force them to tell somebody who wants to follow Jesus that they can't be baptized and come to church. I'm not about to 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 argue with them that if you allow her to come to church that it's not going to cause more problems. Um, and so. Yes, I know what Peter or what Paul says. Each one should remain as they were when they came to Christ, and so that's what we have told uh, this man in this specific situation. You, the woman that you're with now, now understand. We understand that you committed adultery with her against the first woman, but you are now with her, and you live with her, and you have children with her, and you came to Christ together. Uh, apart from that first woman, I'm not about to tell you to go back to the first woman. Like you should remain as you are and you should remain only with this woman. Now that may sound like doublespeak. Remain as you are yet remain with this woman. If you remain as you are, well, then that means she's going to remain with both women. And the reality is that's not an option. But I'm not going to suggest that you should just abandon the second one to go back to the first one. Uh, 
realizing that he also has children with four women in this world. I, I, I just, so, so our, our solution, our solution has been um, to take it slow. We're going to remind them of what Scripture says. We're going to be open and honest about sin. We're going to create a safe place in which sin can be talked about, repented of, and grace and forgiveness experienced. When it is something as simple as a broken relationship, we're going to uh, expect them to reconcile, to ask for forgiveness. When it's something more complicated as what to do with the other woman, then we're going to walk through with them. And once again, we're not their Lord. And so what do we do? We teach them scripture. We pray with them. We give them counsel. And in the end, we wait for the Holy Spirit to guide them as to what they should do. Because in this and many other circumstances, there's just not just not a, a, a clear-cut solution forward. Other, other situations, other sins, we have found that the expectation of immediate, immediate obedience to the word has actually been well-received. For example, one of the women in the church uh, became a, a aware through Bible study that she had a broken relationship with, a, with her neighbor. And so we talked about the, the importance of reconciling and doing everything we part on our part so that there could be peace. And if we're aware that anybody has an issue with us, if we've caused any uh, relationship to be broken, then we should do everything that we can to make it right. So I, I challenge her. This was on a Thursday night. And I said, by Sunday, when we meet again, uh, I will have expected you to have gone to that neighbor and to have asked for forgiveness for what you did. Well, by Sunday, it, it came around. We had a, another meeting and uh, time for accountability. And we asked her, did you make it right? Because in this culture, of course, uh, you don't make it right. You save face. You don't make it right. It's the other person. And so they will hold on to grudges for years and years and years. You don't talk about things that will, you know, you, you indirectly, you, you, you just kind of ignore that it happened. But we wanted them to set to, to learn that they need to go the extra mile. And when they've done something wrong, they need to make it right. And so we held them accountable. We held her accountable. And we said, did you do it? And she said, yes, yes, I did. The very next day I went to my neighbor and I brought a gift and I explained to her that I'm now a follower of Jesus and that because of that, I wanted to make my relationship with her right. And the neighbor was very confused by it, but very, very glad that she had done it. And then her husband chimes in and says, yeah, she, she knew you were going to ask. And so she did it. Now, many people be like, well, wait, she did it for the wrong motive because she knew that she was going to be questioned. Well, no, the real reality is that's good discipleship, right? Because your, your disciple knows that there's going to be accountability, that they are expected to obey everything that Jesus has taught them. And so this woman knew that there was going to be an accountability, and so she was forced into uh, the decision whether she was going to be obedient or not to the text. Another scenario was uh, there's a, a new, new brother in Christ who was a daily drunk, just uh, functionally drunk all the time, 
and then when he would got got home at night he would he would fall asleep each night drunk that, that's just how he lived uh, he was addicted to alcohol we never actually had to bring that up when he from the day that he got baptized until now months and months later he's not had one he just stopped cold turkey has not had one drink that's a testimony of the power of the holy spirit in his life and not anything that we have done but it is a, it is a, a an indication that at times the holy spirit just handles it uh, it, like with the altars to the saints in their houses, the Holy Spirit just handled that. They knew the truth of the Word of God, and when they when they were fully convinced of uh, that they needed to be obedient, not under compulsion by us, because we we never we never made it an issue. We told them what the Word said, and we moved on. And then when the Holy Spirit convicted them of that sin, they took down their idols. They took down their their altars to the saints. And so, what what am I saying? Well, I'm saying that at times. It, you can just allow the Holy Spirit to do the convicting. That's what we do. Uh, uh, There's so many things that you could constantly be pointing out. This is wrong, and that is wrong, and this is wrong, and that is wrong, and you do this, and you need to change that, and make, make the Christian faith about legalism and about works-based righteousness. Those kinds of scenarios were, were, were like... Uh, we tend to make it more word-based and spirit-led. So it is not about the, the American missionary coming in and pointing out all the things about the culture that they think is wrong. It is more of, uh, okay, as it comes up, let's, let's deal with it. And then we'll allow the Holy Spirit to work. And so in many of these regards, situations like the, the, their altars and situations like the alcoholism, we'll, we'll, we, we make it less about legalism. So we'll say, you know, you know, those saints don't do anything for you. Why would you have that up there? Like, isn't Jesus better? Doesn't God invite us into a relationship with him? Doesn't God take care of us? Doesn't God uh, protect us? Like, we don't need the protection of saints. We don't need the protection of, uh, or the blessing of saints. Why would we go anywhere when God himself invites us? And we know that God is everywhere at all places. That God is all powerful. That God loves us and he invites us to trust him. He is a good father that will take care of us. And we don't have to uh, go to somebody with less power or something that has no power. We like God doesn't even want offerings. He doesn't want flowers and candles and he doesn't want us to do like he just is good to us. Like isn't he good to us? Like why can't we just trust God? And so they respond well to that. Or like with alcoholism. Like we're not going to make a big deal about alcoholism because you know frankly there are bigger pictures, um, bigger issues. Um, uh, to be a man in this culture, you have to drink. So when they stop drinking, that's says a lot. But when I'm teaching, it's more of what does the Bible say about alcohol? You just need to be obedient to that. Not make a big deal about it. But and then it would be like, you know, wouldn't you like to be sober isn't that better than being drunk isn't it better to 
be aware. Well, like what happens when you get drunk? You well, and they all laugh. You make a fool of yourself. You 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 get into fights. You 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 do do things that you don't even remember. Like, they recognize the foolishness of alcoholism. And then they even talk about well, think about all the money that they waste. Like in, the, in one uh, evening, they can spend a week's salary just drinking. And so they recognize the foolishness of them. We don't have to make a big deal about it, but I'll just say, if you know what is right, you just need to do it. And so they just stop by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there are certain times when you can just give a little word, give a little instruction, and then walk away. And in the end, the Holy Spirit will take care of it. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction of sin. He's the one who empowers them to be able to, to obey. And so uh, we uh, truly believe that the word and the spirit are, the art and the, are essential and then, of course, you have the harder issues. And you're really wanting to know how we handle that as a team. And like I said before, we work through it. We spend a lot of time in prayer. And then we talk about it. And we come to an agreement. And then we start implementing that. And then we talk about it some more and pray about it some more. And then we adjust. And then we talk about it some more and pray about it some more. And we adjust. And um, we're constantly guiding. And oftentimes uh, we look at it. Here, here's, the, here's the word picture that we have used. Now, many Mistec are uh, shepherds. They, they have herds of goats and cattle that they oftentimes will herd down the highway. Just, just down the highway. Uh, and so when a car comes, they will pick up rocks on the side of the road and t- throw them at either the goats or the ca- uh, at the cows uh, to get them to move to the side of the road. And that's how they hurt. They throw, throw rocks. And it doesn't hurt, hurt the animal, but it does make them move over. And so oftentimes we've used this word picture to illustrate our correction of different things that uh, that arise and that is we're throwing rocks so we'll pick up a little rock and we'll we'll toss it at them and um metaphorically of course and they move they move over they get they get back in line and so that's what we we do i feel like that's that's part of shepherding people is is gently in a way that doesn't hurt them uh indicate to them that they're 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 out of line and this is the way they need to go now that's reserved for special scenarios so the leader of the work in the in the town that we're at when i got back here last month i recognized that there were some issues i was informed that there were some issues and so i called him uh he came over to my house and uh he was explaining the situation from his perspective and it was just it was just sin cultural sin um and so I spoke lovingly but firmly to him and corrected it. And then when it was another situation the following week with someone else, we went and we just loved on him. And so I explained it to him. I said, you know what, brother? This is the difference. You are the leader. Everybody looks to you. And so much is going to be required of you. This other brother, he's not the leader. And and so he understood. So dealing with cultural sin, first, 
Well, I'll summarize it this way. First, uh, be careful that you don't have a plank in your eye when you're considering the thorn and the splinter in your brother's eye. Um, we come in as outsiders not understanding the history and the culture. And be careful because just as you can see the issues in their culture, which uh, are amplified as you come in as an outsider, so too can they see the issues which seem to be insignificant or small in your life but are really big in their eyes. So be certain that you have dealt with your issues first. Number two, spend as much time as you can in prayer asking God to show you if and how you need to deal with it. If it is something that requires a big picture, uh, uh, requires it to be a big deal, well, then ask him to show you how to make it a big deal. If it is something that just needs a little bit of a, hey, here's a rock, let me redirect you, um, then let it be that. So th- those are my first two. Check yourself first. Spend time in prayer before you do anything. Expect immediate obedience and model it for them. So what does that mean? So confession time. Uh, when I told the lady about needing to go go to reconcile with her neighbor, the very next day, I, I the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said that I had a broken relationship with a person and that I should do something about it. So I contacted that person that day and said, hey, yeah, last night I was teaching about reconciliation, forgiveness, and it came to my mind that I had an issue. I, I was responsible for the break in our relationship, and I need to apologize to you for that. So that following Sunday when she reported that she uh, had, had gone through uh, with what I had expected her to do, I reported back that I had done the same thing. What do you think that did for her and for her husband? Well, demonstrated to them, not that the leader of the work has uh, issues and can't be trusted and all that, or, you know, that he's not as holy as they had thought or any other thing. No, it taught them that I am going to be obedient to, that I am not going to put upon them anything that I'm not willing to do myself. And so that's the point that you should take away, that in dealing with cultural sin, be aware that you have issues that you too need to deal with. And if you're going to expect accountability, then you need to model for them your willingness to be accountable, to be obedient. All that to say is, in the end, you're going to mess up. In the end, we mess up. But praise the Lord for grace. And if you're going to err in anything, may it be that you err on the side of being too gracious instead of too harsh and judgmental. And so what we have found is by, by approaching these issues in these ways, by uh, focusing on our issues and dealing with our issues and being obedient ourselves and uh, making the most of hard situations and looking to long distance into the future for what it, what it can be uh, has been very helpful. And our brothers have really appreciated it. 
And to be honest, they're the issues that they were dealing with six months ago, by God's grace, they're no longer dealing with now. So anyways, that's uh, how we deal with cultural sin. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen this week. Uh, looking forward to sharing more with you in the future about uh, how we handle different issues of, of strategy in this place. Until next time, uh, look, may God bless you, and we'll talk to you soon.